Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie-Anne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont Mystery Series, Cupcake Enthusiast and Part-Time Children's Literacy Wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, ballet shoe hoarder and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 28th episode. Hi, Julie, and hi, everyone. What have you got to tell us today, Pamela? Oh, well, um, so today, if we get this out at the right time, is the 19th of September, which is um, Australian Reading Hour Day. Yay. <laughs> I don't know if it's a day, but um, so there's a website um, for Australian Reading Hour. Just Google it. And it's encouraging people just to drop everything and read for an hour or read to your kids or read to yourself. Um you can pledge on the website, um, and you can read anything. It's, it's you know it's not a problem in this household, but we might we might just make it a thing. We might just say, okay, everyone, let's just read for now. Which you know I'm not going <laughs> to say no to that. No. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, get on get on board. Um, it's a great it's a great initiative um, to encourage reading. Definitely. Well, tell us, Pamela, since you do a lot of reading for an hour, what is the title of today's book? <laughs> Um, today I'm reviewing Songbird by Ingrid Laguna and it's published by Text Publishing in May this year, 2019. Oh, yes, we met Ingrid at Kidlet Vic. Well, I did. I don't think you did. <laughs> I think She I, was adorable. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw her in passing. I do, do remember, remember her, but um, no, I didn't meet her properly. But, yeah, it was really nice to, um, to get the chance to review a book of someone, you know, in the, in the community. Yes. Now, would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yes. A new school, a new house, a new language in a country far from home. Jamila wants to make new friends and fit in, but it's hard when you miss your best friend at home in Iraq and you're worried about your father's safety and your mother needs your help with simple tasks like shopping. When Jamila joins the school choir, she finds a place where she can belong, a place where she might find a friend, a place where she can dare to hope. Songbird is a tender story about settling into a new place, making friends and finding the things that let you shine. Oh, this is so up your alley, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and what genre would you class this as? Well, yeah, this is contemporary and I, I know we've said in the past we don't do a lot of contemporary, but, um, yeah, sometimes we do and this is, yeah, the kind of thing I like. Beautiful. And what is the estimated word count? Well, it's quite a short book, Julie, which I think mm. you would like. <laughs> I would love. <laughs> I think it's a bit under 30K, so it's a quite a quick read. Oh, bless you, Ingrid. <laughs> <laughs> what drew you to this book? Yeah, well, I think this story has parallels with my own, which with my own personal story, which I think I've spoken about before, moving to Australia towards the end of primary school and trying to fit in. But you know, this is a refugee story, so it has a whole other layer. Um, and plus, I was drawn to the gorgeous cover 
and and just the description it just sounded like a really nice read yeah yeah well tell us about it yeah, so Jamila, her mother and brother, have recently arrived from war-torn Iraq to live in Preston, suburban Melbourne. Jamila speaks limited English, but her mother speaks almost no English. Jamila's father is a journalist who has been in trouble in the past for his views and his writing, and he has stayed behind in Iraq. Jamila misses him terribly and finds that her mother depends on her a lot. She's trying to fit in at school with her broken English and her hijab, but also she's called home frequently by her mother to help with chores and appointments. She also misses her best friend, Mina, who called her songbird because she loved to sing. But singing doesn't feel the same anymore. When Jamila meets another newcomer to the school, they become friends and together they join the choir. When a notice goes up seeking soloists to audition for the choir uh, for a concert, Jamila and Eva audition and are offered solos. However, Jamila misses a lot of school because her mother relies on her and she continues to worry about her father, Eventually, Jamila convinces her mother to accept refugee help and good news arrives from Iraq that her father is finding his way to Australia. Oh, sounds absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And what was your overall enjoyment? Yeah, this is a a beautifully told story that tugs at your heart. Ingrid has written in a very simple but elegant way, incorporating many Arabic words and, and foods to help the reader relate to Jamila. I couldn't help but tear up for Jamila and all girls and boys like her who have gone from one bad situation to another, having given up a country and life that they love to escape danger by moving to an unfamiliar culture with an unfamiliar language must just be so heartbreaking. And for those that have read Pie in the Sky by Remy Lay, which I um, reviewed a few episodes ago or quite a few now, I think, um, yeah, you can see the strong parallels there. For the teachers and librarians out there, yeah, I'd say add this one to your list of books on diversity and acceptance. Um, It's just a beautiful book. And, yeah, great. Well done, Ingrid. Oh, yes. Congratulations, Ingrid. Well, who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Uh, I think it's recommended for eight plus. And, yeah, I'd agree with that. There's there's nothing too strong or complicated or, you know, scary. So it's, it's nice and gentle. And as I said, it's quite a short read as well. And do you think reluctant readers would enjoy this book? Well, it's not a fun romp, you know, intended for reluctant readers, but the language is simple and really beautiful, so I think it's fine for reluctant readers if if this is their thing, yeah. Perhaps as a read aloud as well. Yeah, probably, yeah. And, you know, with the help of the Arabic as well, I mean, you can can explore all sorts of things to do with um, language, roots of words and things like that in there as well. Oh, wow. Oh, that is Pamela's. 28th by many more review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and today you have a double review, Julie, I see. Oh, I know. I've been bad. I mean, in a good way. (laughs) I keep (laughs) popping two books in because I can't help myself, but yes, anyway. (laughs) I don't think anyone's complaining. No. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the first book for today? Okay, um... My first book is Butterfly Circus by Francesca Amor Chalou, published by Walker Books in 2019. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've uh, heard of this one yet. Oh, you would like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, can you share the jacket blurb with us? Yes. <laughs> Sisters Tansy and Belle are the stars of the circus. Soaring through the air on trapeze is like shimmering butterflies until one night Tansy falls. 
Now terrified of heights, all Tansy can do is watch from the ring below while Belle shines above. But when Belle mysteriously vanishes and Tansy's shadow miraculously comes to life, Tansy discovers that courage she needs to rescue her sister may have been inside her all along. Oh, you're right. I do think this is something for me. Oh, it is something for you, Panama. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like uh, we have another middle grade magic realism. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I will add in a historic setting. <laughs> so. oh, okay. Right. Yes. And how does this rate on Julie's word countermeter? Oh, it ticked the box again. About 40,000 words, I'd say. So just in the sweet spot for me. Perfect. Perfect. And so, yeah, I haven't read it. I haven't heard about this before. So what drew you to this one? Well, I'm not sure if I've ever... Um, told you that I have a thing for circuses <laughs> in fact I actually um, I have a middle grade magical realism manuscript um, in my cupboard which is set in an old time circus so I have been dragging my family to circuses for about the past five years for research <laughs> um, and a few years ago I read a really brilliant middle grade called Circus Mirandus by Cassie Beasley um, and I, I thought that was wonderful. It was very different to what I was writing but um, oh, circuses are so magical. So anyway, this one in particular was posted again by I think Nick Tomlinson who seems to be giving um, the Mavens an enormous number of incredibly good book recommendations so that I think that will um, inflate his head quite um, <laughs> proudly. <laughs> I just but anyway, say, thank you, Nick. I just want to say, hi, Nick. I know you're listening. You are so famous in Australia now. <laughs> Nick is uh, in the UK, I believe. Um, yes. Loves yes. that he's mentioned on Ravens yes. a few episodes ago. So, yeah, there we go. And yes. speaking of circuses, I am not surprised that you love circuses. I think it's really yes. fitting. <laughs> and I, what came to mind when you talked was this book that I read a few years ago, it's an adult book, quite an adult book, um, and it's called, I think it's called The Night Circus. Yes, yes. Have you read that one? Well, I will not dive, go into too much detail about my non-love affair with The Night Circus. I couldn't get into it. I, oh. I don't know why. I, I think, let's go back to my word count issues. <laughs> the Night Circus <laughs> is enormous. Long, it's a long It's book. like maybe it's like 500 pages mm. and my attention span just fell away at about the 200 page mark <laughs> I couldn't get further but I have heard it is an exquisite read mm. so I may get back to the night circus one day it is buried in a cupboard at the moment so oh, yep. yeah <laughs> but I might just get Pamela to, to give me the abridged version <laughs> oh you know I read it years ago so I can barely remember it now but I yeah. do it was one of my most loved and I lent it to my dad and he gave it back to me and went, wow, that was great. <laughs> so, well, maybe when, when I actually grow up one day, I will read it. Well, I have to tell you, my dad doesn't have a very long attention span for boring <laughs> books either. So if he yeah. liked it, well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> middle grade fiction. <laughs> back, to, back to the Butterfly Circus. Okay. Right. We'll start chatting. And, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about this one? Yes. Tansy and Belle are two young sisters 
who are the stars of the Butterfly Circus. That is until Tansy falls and can never be in the ring again. When the Fratellinis take them in after they're found wandering in the forest, the two young girls have to earn their keep. And that is how they became the butterflies of the Butterfly Circus. When Belle disappears, Tanky Tansy is racked with feelings of abandonment and guilt. She thinks her sister has finally succumbed to the lure of one of the great circuses who have been trying to poach her for years. That is, until she finds a trinket which she knew Belle would never leave behind. A trinket which holds the key to Belle's disappearance. One thing is certain, Tansy will not be going to an orphanage because she can no longer earn her keep. She's one determined little lady who will find her sister, even if it means infiltrating Circo Fank. I, might, I hope I've said that the right way. Right. The biggest circus in the Isle of Gala. Hmm. So actually it sounds um, like it's part mystery as well. Yes, yes. It's perfect for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of this book? Oh, it was utterly exquisite. We were drawn into Tansy's plight from the first step on the trapeze ropes. The disappearance of her sister is shocking, but it also thrusts Tansy into a world much bigger and badder than the Butterfly Circus. She will face many challenges and have to find the courage, strength and discernment to figure out who to trust. This was rich with circus detail and old-fashioned language, which made it so authentic, but what set this apart was Rosa. Now let me explain, Rosa is Tansy's shadow, and for reasons I will not explain, they split apart, and Rosa becomes a character all of her own. Rosa can do weird and wonderful things, and Tansy and Rosa become a unified force, determined to find Belle. What made this beautiful was that although Tansy was the only one that could truly see Rosa, we know that the strength Rosa brought to the narrative was actually what Tansy held within. I loved this book from cover to cover, and I would thoroughly recommend it. Oh, fantastic. So um, what kind of age group is this for? It sounds like slightly for older children. Yeah, I think I'd probably say nine plus. Um, Giselle's a pretty confident and advanced reader, um, and I think she'd probably love this. Um, but I think that's, that's hard to gauge because she is so advanced, but I think nine plus would really totally love this, nine to 12. Yeah, okay. And is it for reluctant readers, do you think, or more confident? I'm going to say it would be for confident readers um, just because it's so rich in, you know, um, description and, uh, you know, just that whole circus sort of world. But I think as a read aloud, this would be really wonderful as well. Mm, it sounds it. Well, there you go. Great. Thank you for that. I think I might have to look into that one. Yes, I think you're going to have to. We're going to have to do a big swapsy soon. Yeah. <laughs> With a great Maven's meetup swap. Yes. Mm, there might yeah. be something in that. <laughs> <laughs> might have to offload the, the children to somebody else. Just yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and, you know, and they're, they're children's books, but, you know. We can read them too. Of course. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, your second book for the day, what, what are you reviewing? Yes. So my second book is The Brilliant Ideas of Lily Green by Heidi Grant. I've written Heidi Grant 
too funny. I actually dictate my um, reviews because I've got quite a bad hand. Anyway, by Heidi Grant, Egmont, ampersand prize winner, Lisa Sibbery. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> it's okay. I, I recognise that as I was reading through the list. Yeah. <laughs> and congratulations to Lisa for winning yes. the ampersand prize. That's huge. Yes, yes. She's awesome. Fantastic. So could you share the back jacket blurb of this one for us, please? Yes. 12-year-old Lily Green has brilliant ideas. She loves concocting unusual beauty products. Sure, there are often disasters, but every inventor has to start somewhere, and her family salon seems like just the place. If only it had customers. When she accidentally mixes up some wild and wonderful goop from the mysterious plants in her neighbor's garden, Lily thinks she struck gold. Her products work magic, and she's sure they'll save the failing salon. Lily's creations are in, aren't as enchanting as they seem. Oh, so what's the genre for this one? This is contemporary with hints of magical realism, I guess. Okay. So I think you said something about the makeup is her products work like magic. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Okay, right. Okay. <clears throat> um, and the word count for this one? I am going to put this at around 60,000 actually. Okay. Long. Yeah. Um, and what drew you to this book? Well, the book cover actually, you know, just for something different. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is absolutely glorious in a sort of Green Gables esque way, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Lily Green is, is just a gorgeous, che rosy cheeked redhead. Um, on the cover, which just um, immediately drew me in. And I was actually at the Younger Son bookshop in Yarraville um, when I spotted this. Um, and Giselle and I stopped there for the Love Your Bookshop Day. So I thought, this it's time to pick this up. And then, of course, I knew that Lisa had won the Ampersand Prize and this was the book that was produced after that. Um, so... Yeah, it was all so very intriguing. I had to have it in my grasp. Yeah, it sounds like it all came together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can you tell us more about it? Yeah, 12-year-old Lily Green truly, madly, deeply wants to make something beautiful in her life because life has not always been a bed of roses. Since her dad passed away, Lily has been trying to make beautiful things. Her dad was an inventor of sorts, and she is determined to keep his memory alive. I guess you would call Lily's inventions more or less beauty products, potions and lotions that can be found on the shelves of her mum's salon. Natural beauty products don't just come packaged like that out of nature, so Lily tries many and varied plants and foods to make her creations. Things don't always go to plan, and sometimes Lily's products cause more pain than gain. With the Fernie Hill Primary Invention Competition coming up, it seems Lily's arch-nemesis Zoe has stolen her best friend Violet along with her ideas. Lily will have to team up with newcomer Ivy, but that's only the half of her problems. Her mum is also going to have to sell the salon if a beauty miracle doesn't come their way soon. 
Actually, she's going to need more than a miracle, especially when she starts using Ivy's grandmother's monster-like plants as her ingredients. <laughs> this does sound like it's uh, right up your alley, Julie. It sounds great, yes. actually. I love, yeah, I'm really interested. I, I love <laughs> the names are all flowers as well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Bernie Hill. And <laughs> yes. So you love this book? This was just gorgeous. Um, we were right there with Lily on her journey, wanting so much to make beauty out of the ordinary, especially since she lost her dad. And sometimes the power of your wants and desires can force you to do things you really would never imagine. And Lily finds herself in deep doo-doo. She certainly has to swallow her pride and find the strength within to make things right, not only with her friends, new and old, but her mum and her sister. This was such a lovely coming-of-age tale. Friendships are tested and home truths are revealed, but thankfully Lily digs deep and eventually finds her place in the world. I enjoyed this immensely and would certainly recommend it for young girls who are treading the torrid waters of worth, beauty, friendship and identity. Mm. Sounds so good. And uh, what age group would you recommend it for? Yeah, I think this would be for 9 to 12 again, um, very comfortably. Yeah, and then it's quite long, so what do you say for uh, reluctant readers? Yeah, I think this would definitely just be a confident read. Um, it's quite long. Um, I mean, I think it would be lovely as a read aloud, like a mum and a daughter, okay. having a, a beautiful read aloud. I think actually would be fantastic because there's so many themes that can be explored, but yeah. Definitely for confident readers as a read alone. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Now, don't want to run away just yet, listeners, as we have two great interviews coming up. First, we have, as we've mentioned, Ampersand Prize winner Lisa Sibri, and then we have the incredible Louise Parks, whom we reviewed. Um, we reviewed. Well, Pamela reviewed Grace's Secrets. Um, last episode so stay tuned folks that's right enjoy we'll see you next time here we are at middle grade mavens and a little recap for our listeners we've recently reviewed the brilliant ideas of lily green by ampersand prize winner lisa sibiri published by hardy grant egmont august 2019 now, I personally find it fascinating to hear the story of how a book came to be. We thought it would be awesome to invite Lisa into the middle grade Maven's hot seat for some authorly banter. And guess what? She agreed. So hi, Lisa, and thanks for joining us at Middle Grade Maven's. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. So tell us, Lisa, where did you get your start in writing? Ooh. Oh, gosh, you know what? I I was one of those kids who was always writing poems and stories. So um, I think I started like as early as possible. I think the very first book I wrote was a book that I made for my dolls in my dollhouse. Beautiful. And it, it was literally the size of my thumbnail and it was called um, The Rabbit and the House of Sugar. And I worked really hard on this tiny, tiny book. And um I think at the, without knowing it at the time, that was probably when I decided I wanted to be a writer. And oh, wow. you know, fast forward like 20, 30 years and 
I've been really lucky to make a career out of writing. You know, I, I work, uh, you know, my day job is writing. So I, I worked for the ABC, writing copy for digital products. And then I, um, right now I work for a health research institute. So during the day, I kind of, I write, I do my, my, my serious day writing. And then I kind of have my second writing life at home where I get to come home and I, I get to write like delicious, fun, middle grade fiction and that's where I'm happiest. So oh, perfect. <laughs> Gee, I wish you'd kept the um the tiny sugar thumbnail book. <laughs> it I sounds exquisite. It. It <gasps> and it still holds up. It's oh, amazing. Please take yeah. a photo for us for I Instagram. Will. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you get the inspiration for the brilliant ideas of Lily Green? Oh, you know, it's funny, like I actually vividly remember the moment that the idea popped into my head. It's funny that um, I was standing in one of those Lush stores. Do you know Lush? Yes. They they smell amazing and they're just full of crazy beauty products. And so I was lining up to buy something ridiculous like a chocolate and seaweed body scrub or something and I noticed (laughs) this group of girls around they were all putting lip balm on, like they're probably all about 10 and they were all laughing their heads off. And I just, I just was watching them. And suddenly I time traveled back to myself when I was 10 and I had this flash of memory of myself in my backyard. I used to pick jasmine flowers and try and make perfume out of them. So I'd put all the flower petals in this little jar with water and all these other ingredients. And I'd I always thought I would make something beautiful, but of course it would always just be like brown goop by the end yes. of the day. <laughs> yes. No. And so I kind of, those two, those two ideas kind of collided and suddenly I, I was standing there in lunch and I thought, oh, what if, what if I wrote a story about a girl who wrote, who invented crazy beauty products and she made yep. them from plants from her neighbor's garden? And that was literally all I had, and but it was enough. I, it got me excited, and I just started writing the very next day, and then Lily Green appeared, and and it all just kind of fell out of me. So brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so we always love to know how long it really does take to write mm. a book. So how long did it take, and what kind of research did you do along the way for the story? Oh my goodness, yeah. I, you know what, honestly, I wrote Lily Green. Well, actually, it was called Gloop to start with. <clears throat> I wrote it in three months and it was kind of a frenzied, like, writing patch. I just had to get it done. And honestly, I I don't think there was food in the fridge for three months. I don't think there was house. I forgot to pay my phone bill and my phone got cut off. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, think I was in a total dream world. I think I sent the kids to school in like dirty shirts and mismatched. <laughs> I just, I disappeared into the story. And in a way, I think it's the only way to do it. Like you just have to go underground to get yep. it done. Otherwise, yes, I can see how it, you, you could spend years writing a manuscript, but I just don't have the patience for that. I just want to get it done. And yeah. So I kind of went into this frenzy and I did do, you know, I did quite a bit of research, but it was fun research. I was Googling things like how to make shampoo out of orange juice and, you know, lip balm. And so it was, 
It was super fun. And I look back on that three month period writing that first draft and I kind of think of my, I remember Neil Gaiman saying something about how when you write a book, you're like a cut, you know, one of those cartoon characters who run off a cliff yeah. and you're paddling in, in, in air. And if you look down, you'll fall. But as long as yeah. you don't look down, you'll just keep going. And I think that's who I was for those three months. I was just running in, in mid air. I had no idea yeah. where I was going. I'd never done it before. I'd never written a whole manuscript yeah. before. So I just, it was an act of faith and, um, but it was fun. It was so fun writing a first draft because you're free. Nobody's watching. Yeah. Do whatever you want. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was my, my writing, my in, initial writing process before yeah. I, and I entered the, I entered the manuscript into the Heidi Grant Egmont Ampersand Prize. And then I just thought that was the end of that. <laughs> so, I think my next question kind of um, encompasses that. So um, anyone who doesn't know what the Hardy Grant Egmont Ampersand Prize is, it's basically um, for middle grade and young adult, um, anyone who wants to sort of try and break in to the industry, it's for a debut author. Um, so can you share how that all, um, you know, came to be? Like how did it unfold? It must have been amazing. It was amazing. Oh, my goodness. I like... I only found out about the Ampersand Prize when I was actually writing that first draft and it was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it even existed because I know, like I knew how hard it was to get published and it always seemed impossible. Um, and so when I heard about the Ampersand Prize, I was determined to enter it, um, especially because it's just for unpublished writers of YA and middle grade. Um, and so, yeah, I entered my, my very, very messy draft and, um, you know, like I knew that the past winners of the Ampersand Prize have been, you know, they've been such amazing winners and they've all gone on to write these wonderful books. And so I never really expected anything to come of Lily Green. So when I did get the call, like, so, I mean, months passed, right? And I, I did literally... Yep. I printed out my manuscript, I put it in a folder and I hid it in a cupboard because I <laughs> I said goodbye. I said goodbye to Lily. I, I thought there's no way anything will come of this and I just felt I needed to just put her away. And so when I did get the call from Hardy Grant and I found out that I'd won the prize, it was like, uh, it was like time stood still because th these opportunities are so rare. Yes. No, and Heidi Grant, they published such wonderful YA in middle grade. So I just felt so lucky. I felt like the stars aligned. Yes. Super lucky. And I'm, I'm not sure. Do they actually, like, get you out to a big dinner and sort of reveal oh. the prize? Like, I can't write. No, 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 no. There's no, no, no fancy cocktail parties. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what? Like, a publishing contract was like gold. I've never yes. won a trophy in my whole life, but getting that publishing contract felt like a trophy. Oh, I bet. So, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, you literally just dive right into the editing process from there. And that it's, that's, that's a real education because they give you, you know, not only do you get your book published, you get to go through this whole process with an editor and like that, that's incredible. It's, it was an incredible learning experience. So yeah. Yeah, and um, 
do you remember the time frame of how much editing that you took to get the book ready? Oh man, you know what? It oh yeah, editing that was a major education for me because um I love it when writers say, Oh, you know, I just wrote I just wrote it and I just tweaked it and then it got then it was printed. <laughs> like, that was not my experience at all. At yeah. all. I wanted I wanna tell as many people that as possible that and I especially I tell kids this that um it never comes out perfectly the first time. Don't expect that. You know, my, my first draft was a mess. It, I didn't even know what the story was at the end of it. Um, <laughs> yes. So I was really lucky to have this incredible editor, Luna Sue, at Hyde. Mm-hmm. And, and she, um, it, it, she, she taught me so much about writing. She made me a way better writer. And um, we went through... Oh, look, I rewrote it. I rewrote it a few times. I think I went through six drafts. Yeah, yep. And I spent a, I spent a whole year um, reworking that story over and over again. I threw characters out, like whole characters go in the bin and a whole new oh. character in. And um, I rewrote major parts of it. And I was so lucky to have an editor and a publisher, Marissa Pintado and also Emma Schwartz, they gave me the space to, to do that, to kind yeah. of L around and try and figure it out on my own because that's the thing about editing. Like um, I somehow thought that they would all give me the answers. And they yeah. would give me the answer to that plot hole. But, they, you know, it's it's all in you, inside you. You have to figure it out. Yeah. It, it was, is. It is inside you. You are capable, but you just need a little guide along the way. That's so true. That is so true. And self-doubt. Oh, man, you know, there's so many opportunities for self-doubt along the way. Um, and but, So I guess I was so lucky to have these kind of mentors in a way who could say, yep, you can do it. Here are your deadlines. Go off. Get it done. And yes. in a way, as a writer, you kind of need that. Like that is that's gold. So, yep. so it was, in a way, I was a bit like my own character, Lily Green, who, in a way, because the book is actually about Lily trying to make something beautiful. She just wants to invent these beauty products and most of the time they're rubbish yep. and get so discouraged and she just wants to, to make something beautiful and perfect and she kind of goes around it the wrong way of course but I, in a way I was a bit like Lily I was <clears throat> flailing I was making you know making a mess and but then I realized that's actually the process it's yes. not, not neat you can't you don't just churn out a perfect book like you I'm sure some people do probably Stephen King does but <laughs> not me. yeah I was I was like Lily Green herself, just learning as I went. Beautiful. Well, <laughs> let us talk book covers. Ooh. Yours is glorious, and oh. I believe it may have been illustrated by Maggie Cole. Yes. Can you talk us through the process? Oh, well, I honestly, it all comes down to um, so Penelope White at Hardy Grant. She, she managed the cover. And um, so she uh, found Maggie Cole, who is this amazing young artist who lives in Minnesota in the US. Yep. And um, so they worked together and, you know, like when I 
saw the first um, sketch of Lily Green, I couldn't believe it. Like Maggie had completely nailed it. She just knew exactly what this girl looked like. Yep. And there is a bit of magic involved there because, you know, Maggie would have only received the description, you know, the description that I write of Lily in the book. And so for her to take my words and turn her into an actual person was unreal. I'll never forget that moment. Yep. So um, magic. Yeah. And she just did this incredible job. Like the cover does, it says everything about the book. It says Lily, but it also has this lush garden and there are little sparkles on there and it just, I couldn't ask for more. So she's a really talented artist. You can find her on Instagram as well. Yes, we will definitely search for her because we love to tag um, illustrators as well. Oh, yeah, they're so talented. So I hope that you are writing some more so we can actually answer this next question. How do you manage the pressures of life and still find time to write? Oh, I know. Oh. That's like the eternal question. I talk to other writers about this all the time. Um, I don't manage it. Like it's not, <laughs> there is no, there is no perfect. Um, I have a day job like every other writer I know. Um, so I write, I work four days a week in an office. And, but I'm really lucky because I have Fridays to write. So I, that's kind of my, my special day and I, I protect it. I have to protect that day. Otherwise it, you know, it could get swamped with housework or whatever, you know? So, um, I don't know. I, I think having, almost having pressure on my writing time is almost good. Mm. I, I do sometimes daydream of having five days a week to just lounge around and write stories, but I have a feeling if I had that, I would just go shopping and yes. <laughs> like paint my nails. I yes. I don't think that I would get it done. So there, there's something good about having um, pressure and only having a limited time to write. And it is amazing how much you can do on the train. I do, I, I've always, I'm always writing on the train to work and on yep. the train ride home. Um, and you know, I've got two young kids. So when I get home, it's just chaos. And yes. I this <laughs> tiny little desk in the corner of our lounge room. And that is my only spot in the house that belongs to me. And the kids aren't allowed to touch it. Yep. And they know that my desk is sacred. Um, so I think maybe in a way that creating those boundaries has helped a bit. So lovely. Yeah own little desk having one day a week to write it's not a lot but it's enough yep every <laughs> every word added is another word <laughs> so yeah, totally it, it really is and um I do love oh yeah, I'm referencing Stephen King again because I just love him he he says he said um he thinks that a book should be written in a season like three months and I remember I, I committed to that rule when I wrote my first book. And I, I like it. I like the idea of that because um, just having urgency and getting it done is yeah. way more important than faffing about with perfection. Like, I'm done with perfect. Yes. Get it done. <laughs> yes. I like to call it first draft fever. Oh, <laughs> yes. I know. I love that, right? <laughs> 
Yes, I've been in the throes of first draft fever many a time and really? it's glorious when it's over because I don't enjoy the first draft one bit. <laughs> oh, you don't? Isn't that funny? Uh, yeah, it is it is painful, but it's also, don't you find it's it's the most free that you're ever going to be is writing yes. that draft? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So in in um, you reference Stephen King. So we know he's obviously an adult <laughs> horror writer. But um, do you personally read widely in the genre and age that you write for? Yeah, I pretty much just read middle grade. It's that's I've been reading it for years and years and years. I just adore it. Um, I don't know. I think like my best reading memories were as a 10 year old reading the entire babysitters club series and all of the Nancy Drews. So I think I just internalized that and um, I've never stopped reading middle grade. I adore it. And, um, but I do have to remind myself to just grow up sometimes and read an adult book. (laughs) Yes, You know, I do have to widen my horizons a little bit. Um, yeah, middle grade's amazing. It's just, there's something about it and there's such great middle grade coming out now. It feels like it's just getting bigger and bigger. Yes. Yes. You certainly have the Maven's agreement in that category. <laughs> yeah, such exciting stuff being written now. So in your wide reading, what is one middle grade book every child should have the opportunity of reading? Oh, gosh. You know, okay, for a classic, I would definitely say Eva Ibbotson's Journey to the River Sea. It's right. an amazing, amazing adventure book. Um, but at the same time, like, I can't go past Judy Bloom. anything Judy Bloom. She had a huge impact on me in the 80s, and um, so I can't help but but say Judy Bloom as well. So, wow. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Brilliant <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> well, Lisa, where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books? Oh, well, I have a, a very simple little website, um, but I'm also on Twitter and I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm still, you know, trying to find my feet on social media, but... Yep. Um, it's been really quite fun um, diving in and meeting. It's an amazing way to meet other writers, actually. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so th- you can find me there. And I'm also starting to um, do some talks at primary schools, which I just started to do last week for um, Book Week, which was super fun. Wonderful. So, yeah, so look, I, I love the chance to actually get out there and talk with kids. So. Beautiful. find me at the occasional primary school as well. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, it has been an utter delight to talk to you, Lisa. Thank you for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens. Thank you, Julie. It was a pleasure. So welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Louise Park, whose accomplishments I summarised in my recent review of Grace's Secrets. Louise writes under her own name and three pseudonyms, H.I. Larry, Mac Park and Poppy Rose. Now, I first met Louise at a writing event a few years ago when my eldest son was obsessed with the Zach Power books and that's when I became aware of the breadth of Louise's work. 
And I have a little bit of an embarrassing story that goes along with that. But first, welcome to the podcast, Louise Park. It's great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on the release of Grace's Secret, which was just a few days ago. Yes, it was two days ago. Thanks so much. I'm really excited for it. I, I just think the publisher's done a beautiful job with it and uh, I hope she flies. Mm, I think she was gorgeous, gorgeous cover. Isn't it beautiful? The artwork is stunning. Apparently mm. it's, a, it's a Chinese illustrator who is very highly sought after. She does a lot of work for Apple. I'd never heard of her, but, oh, it's just beautiful. Ah, yeah, you can see it's got a lot of detail in there, just little bits mm. from the book pulled out, yeah. Um, so here's my embarrassing story, and you probably won't remember this, but a few years ago I knew you were presenting at a Squibby event, a Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and I told my son, who was probably five or six at the time, um, that I was going, that you were going to be there and that, that you wrote some of the Zach Powell books, and he asked me to take one of his Zach Powells to get it signed. So I did, and we, we had all of the books, and a few we'd picked up at an op shop, uh, into various op shops and most of them we bought new so I quickly grabbed one of the books one of the books off the shelf and put it in my bag and then uh, got there and I gave it to you to sign and I know I was horrified to find it was the yellow yellowest wrinkliest mankiest secondhand copy I could have picked <laughs> I don't remember I know I yellow manky um copy but believe me I have signed <laughs> I, I probably have signed much, much worse than that. Children come up to me and I love it. I love it when I see something that it is, it's so well read that it's just about falling apart and and exactly as you say, crinkly and yellow and, you know, all of those things because I think it's been truly loved. It's been read, yeah. Isn't that great though? And, you you know, you just took it and you signed it without a blink so I just thought that was very gracious for you. <laughs> and my son was, you know, over the moon at the end of the day. So, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, that's, um, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and since then we've got we've I think we've got all of the Zap Powers and most of the Boy vs. Beast and all of the D Bot squads and they've been read and read and reread. So Oh wonderful. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, it's good. You know, I can't say that we've had many of the, the girl books in the house, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um first up, please tell our listeners how many books you've written because I know it's quite an impressive body of work. It is. It's probably, been, I haven't counted, but it's probably now between 200 and 300 books. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, I do I do, do a lot of non-fiction, which people don't realise. I do a lot of educational publishing as well, and then I do the trade fiction. And I've just done a book for adults, actually. So I'm kind of across you know, quite a few platforms. And because I do, I do tend to do series. They add up really quickly, you know. Mm. There's twenty in Boy vs Beast. There's sixteen in Star Girl. There's twelve in Bella. There's you know eight in um, Dbot Squad. So suddenly there's just high numbers there. Yeah, sure. That's that's a huge. And I didn't realise that you'd written for adults as well. So yes. So th uh, this is a book for uh, parents, and it's called Seven Steps to Get Your Child Reading, and it's coming out in February with Eleanor Numwin. Oh, perfect. Oh, I just had such a ball writing it. That's fantastic. I just, you know, I think you, you, you've got the, you know, you're right there, you know. You get around and you see the kids and, yeah. Yeah, well, my, my background is in teaching and I've got a master's in uh, literacy and literature as well. So all my life has been around getting kids to read basically in one right. form or another. It's kind of my thing. It's my, my thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm right there with you. 
not that I've, you know, I have never really had that much trouble because, you know, one of the steps is just read with your kid and, and have lots of books around the house. So, you know, but it's never, not always as easy as that, I know. So, um, yeah, mm. it's, it's a great cause. Um, so how did you get started? As not that you said you've got a background in teaching. Um, what, what sort of books were you writing in the beginning? Was it the educational books? Yeah, the first book I ever had published was about, oh, I'm showing my age, it's probably about 30 years ago, <laughs> and it was a book for teachers called Art Attack and it was with Scholastic Australia and then they did another one, Craft Attack, and I pretty well have been writing since then. So I, I taught for quite a while. I taught in the classroom. Then I left, te I left classroom teaching and I was teaching it used to be called new arrivals back then, students who were newly arrived into the country and English was their second language and they needed to learn to speak it, read it and write it, which, you know, English is really hard, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did that and that, that was kind of a real passion for me and I started making my own books with those students because I just couldn't find anything that was appropriate for them. So that's probably where it began. Um, eventually... I'd done a lot of work with Scholastic and eventually I just moved into Scholastic Australia and was working there on the publishing side of things and then I went out on my own. So I've had a kind of interesting journey into publishing because um, I was writing on staff while I was there and and now I write full-time now, now that I've left. Yeah, so that's that's my background. Um. Yeah, I did hear an interview that you – no, I heard an interview, um, I think it was on So You Want to Be a Writer, Marissa Pintado was talking about, I think is she was she the one behind the Zach Power series? Susanna, yeah, Susanna McFarlane, yes. Oh, Susanna McFarlane, right, yes. Yes. Um, talking about how that got started. Things began. <laughs> All roads right. lead to Susanna for my pseudonyms. <laughs> That's well, right. And there was a few no. authors under the Zach Power, uh, the H.I. Larry pseudonym. Is that right? There are, there, are, there are a pile of them. I think there's about six. So um, so Susanna, she, uh, she had her little boy at the time who is now very grown, 22, something like that. He just, he just thought he wasn't a good reader and he didn't like reading and because he didn't like reading, he didn't read and because he didn't read, he didn't get better at reading. And she was really freaking out and she was a children's publisher, you know, so she was really freaking out and that, that really was where... Zach was born. It was born to to get him to read, and obviously it hit hit the sweet spot because lots of children all around Australia and and the world now it's getting them reading. She wanted lots of books fairly quickly, so she she had a team of writers write them. So I I began writing Zach with her probably about oh, fifteen years ago. I'm not sure, and then she left her job, and we decided to team up. So Boy vs Beast and D-Bot Squad are written under the Mac Park pseudonym, which is Susanna MacFarlane and Louise Park, and we write similar books to, you know, to get children reading and keep them reading. So that's how that second pseudonym came about, and it's, it's kind of a you know, made-up name out of both our surnames. I told, my, I told my children that I had a new pseudonym I was writing under because I thought it was pretty clever myself. And they said I sounded like an order from McDonald's, a Mac Park. <laughs> <laughs> and then Poppy Rose was kind of a funny one that um, at the time 
those Rainbow Magic books were really big and they're written by about 30 writers under the pseudonym Daisy Meadows. And that publisher wanted a name that sounded a little bit like Daisy Meadows with flowers, which is how I ended up with Poppy Rose. And that is going to be my last pseudonym. And I do write, mm. I've, write I've written quite a lot under my own name as well. Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, and so the the um, the Zach Power, the Debot Squad, the Boy vs. Beast and, and the, the ones for girls, which I can never remember because we don't have them. Um, the, as you <laughs> said, there was there's a help... Um, you know, to to get children reading, and for us, you know, that was a, it was a great springboard between the, you know, the picture, well, not so much the picture books, but the school readers, and then the more difficult books. And I think um, for us, part of that success is the predictability of the books and the fact that there are just there are always more because you said you always need more. They've got to be quite big theories, and they're a lot of fun. But um, how hard is it to write to such a tight formula? It's it's really hard. It's not it, it's not the formula that. That is hard. It's the it's uh, controlling the reading environment so that every child will succeed and they'll experience that success. So um, there are lots of things that you you really wouldn't notice if you read a Zach book. But I need to control word length, sentence length. You know the kind of vocabulary. Lots of um, lots of sight words that I know that they know, high frequency words, all of that sort of thing. And trying to deliver a, you know, grand epic adventure with only a certain amount of words is really, really hard. But I, it's it's what does it for me. I get a kick out of it. So it's more about controlling that environment so that, that those children are going to succeed. They are going to be able to read those books and love those books and you know, when they go on to the next one and the next one and the next one, they'll be able to consolidate those skills and really get them going. There's that, uh, I call it that, 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 that secret little space where if a child doesn't fly, they will really, they'll really crash. And getting them through that, that stage is really critical. And it, and it's around that Zach Power test drives level. If, if they can get books that they're having success with and they're reading, they will go on and they won't look back. They'll, they'll go on to novels, they'll be able to handle nonfiction and they'll be, they'll sail through primary school and they'll be fine in high school across all their subjects. But, you know, if they, if they, if they don't master that around the year one, usually, you know, all children are different, but you, you around the year one, uh, year two, if they don't crack it there, oh, they're going to struggle. So that's where a lot of my books have been targeted because I just really, it's every child's birthright to be able to read and read well because it just opens so many doors. I'm on my soapbox. I'm getting off now. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> please. talking about literacy? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just sitting here nodding away. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, and just to clarify, um, I know, but <clears throat> a lot of listeners might not know, is that the Zach Power series and perhaps some of the others are split into two sort of reading levels. So there's the test drive, which is the easier, shorter sentences, larger words, and just overall shorter word count. And then the rest of them are slightly more advanced with slightly smaller words and a longer word count. Is that right? Yes, yes. So test drive, spy camp, you know, spy recruit, they're all the, the early chapter books, and then they'll move on to... Uh, you know, what they call the core Zach books, which are really sort of year three, year four, um, maybe 128 pages, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's about that. And then, and then I've, you know, I've, I'm in a few um, Facebook groups where there's, you know, lots of book recommendations and I know that the, the high end of the Zach Powell books and the Boy vs. Beast books often get recommended to reluctant, even older readers because um, 
the content is is not dumbed down. It's not uh, it's not too yeah. babyish. It's, it's still good for older readers who need that little bit of a you know simpler yeah. book. Um, yeah, it's something that they can they can handle. Yeah. Well, it's not compromising on story, you know. You're, yeah. you're still delivering that that readability for them, so that they can um, conquer and succeed, but not at not at the expense of stories. So that grand story is still there, still engaging, still you know tension, all those things that you're looking for, and that that's the hard part doing it. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that that's the core of writing a book, right? But you've got all these other. Um, you know, not restrictions, but these other sort of things around it that you need to be aware of, which is, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I can only imagine how difficult that would have been to write. Um, <clears throat> so how did you find writing under a pseudonym helped or maybe not helped your career? Did, did it make a difference for you? I don't think it does make much of a difference for me. I, I, I have trouble when I'm signing books because I have identity crises. I've got to think, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Um, which is why I don't want to have any more. I, no, I don't think it does affect. I don't know. It'd be interesting to pose that as question to to my publishers to see if it does affect. I don't think it does. I don't think it affects affects my work at all and how I operate. No, so I, I go into schools. Sometimes I go into schools. You know, I'm in schools all the time. But sometimes I go into schools and they haven't been on my website or they haven't done much digging and they have no idea that I've written those books and when they find out they're like staggered and it's it's a real buzz I love that because I'm kind of flying under the radar and then you know I pull up my banner and they go oh Zach Power and then boy this is beast and blah 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 and then they're like what are those names why are they on those covers and you know there's that whole conversation about all of that and it's just fun it's fun to be under the radar a bit I guess it would be, yeah. And because H. Ty Larry and Matt Clark are such sort of male-sounding names as well, so they're, oh, it's a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I had um, a nephew and I actually put him in a Zach book because he was just completely addicted to Zach. And um, it was it was kept secret that H. Ty Larry, you know, they, originally they were saying he was a male spy, so it was kept secret that there were a whole pile of authors writing them. So I never told him that I was writing these books and um when we were allowed to just you know, to come out and say that we wrote the Zach books, I said to my daughter, should I tell Blake? And she said, no. And I said, why? And she said, well, he's going to be shattered. It's just you and it's a woman. <laughs> oh, come on. Where's your, where's your women power? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite as alluring as a secret spy. <laughs> no, no, I guess not. I guess not. Anyway, but writing Zach Power Test Drives and Spy Recruit was really, really fun, really fun. I can imagine. And and so how did Grace's Secrets come about? What sparked that idea? Uh, that that had been floating around in my in my brain for quite a while and I, I, I'd been wanting to get my teeth into a, a longer novel for a while and I wanted to do something with a time slip. And I thought it would be kind of cool to send her back in time and she meets people that she knows uh, and then, you know, has has a grand adventure on the way, fairly dangerous adventure. Um, Yeah, so I just kind of sat down and started putting some ideas together and then the rest is history. I'm I'm a funny kind of author because I don't know if other people are like this, but once I start writing, the characters visit me in my dreams, in my sleep. 
it's bizarre, isn't it? And they talk to me, they're talking to me in my sleep and I'm waking up in the morning and I'm madly writing down all these things and it's almost like I've got to get this book out so that you can all leave me alone so I can sleep properly. <laughs> I, th- I spoke to um, Deborah Abela just a couple of weeks ago. Sorry? No, sorry. Um, I was going to say I spoke to Deborah Abela a couple of weeks ago and she said something similar. Like she just had these voices talking to her and, you know, she had to, that's how the story came out. So, mm, Yeah. Oh, I'm glad someone else has it because... Yeah, sometimes wonder. I often in my sleep, I dream about my characters and they, they, all, all that they're getting up to, and a lot of it ends up in the book. So it's obviously part of my creative process. But when I'm really in the thick of it, like it just, I, I don't sleep very well because they're all just at me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, mm. I find I find when I'm trying to go to sleep is when is when they're talking to me and I have to quickly write it down. The the dreams not so much. The dreams end up just being like what. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the going to sleep and in the shower like i have to make yeah, the shower, shower right yeah. yeah yeah whenever i'm stuck i put myself in the bath or the shower absolutely yeah and that it, something must go on with your subconscious and your brain in that space where you're just about to fall asleep but you're not quite asleep or when you're kind of z- zoned out on on a long driving trip when you're a passenger and you're just staring yes. off base yep. it must be something to do with alpha and beta rays or something i don't know because a lot of my creativity happens there i brainstormed the entire harriet claire series in a traffic jam in melbourne <laughs> <laughs> i know and i was like scrambling around trying to find pieces of paper in the car to write stuff down and this traffic jam went on for about an hour and it was just we weren't moving and yeah harriet took place okay <laughs> <laughs> I did. I we we um were driving back from Phillip Island. We go to Phillip Island quite a lot. I've got family down there, and I, yeah, I wrote a picture, a whole picture book on the way back once. And um, yeah, that's it's, it's, you know, it's oh, not published, so but it's <laughs> yeah, <very> similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's something to do with the you know where the the brain waves where they go to. They just know. allow that yeah the creativity yeah. to happen. It's a really hard question. It's, it's a question that we all get every time we're in schools. You know, where do you get your inspiration from? Where do you get your ideas from? And, you know, like you can't say to a, a, a room full of students and teachers, well, sometimes I kind of, after I've done the morning rush, I crawl back into bed and pull the covers up and I kind of daze. <laughs> and then I, I have some ideas and then I write or I go floating around in the bath. And It's not at the computer. Is it? It's never when you sit down to write, right? If you sit oh, down to write, and that's no, you know, no, that's just never. when you get the. Well, the I must down. Say, when I am writing at the computer, the story takes on its own life. I, I, I often sit down and plan to write one thing, and something else is, is there when I'm finished. Yeah, yeah, hmm. and then sometimes sometimes you write yourself into a corner, and you've got to sort of get up and go somewhere else to get yourself out of that corner. <laughs> yeah yeah true mm. so how much research did you do into into for this book for i mean it's set in victorian britain and you've got these you know fabulous famous authors in there so yeah did you do a lot of research i did a lot of research and it was interesting about you know famous children's literature the classics like um alice in wonderland the christmas carol and um what else is in the first one? Beatrix Potter. Sure. Yeah, Beatrix Potter, Little Women. 
all of those all of those um all of those books and their publishing dates and you know when they came out it was almost like it was meant to be it all just came together every every time i googled something that i thought i might want to put in there and i'm thinking well these dates won't line up bang they did it was it was just like they all conspired to to come together in this book and the same things happened with the second one and the third one because i've scoped out you know what what what's going to happen um in in both those books and same thing it all just lined up so it was almost like they've all been sitting there waiting for me to do it <laughs> that's a <sighs> weird thing to explain isn't it um and i did do a lot of research into uh well we should probably tell the the audience out there that so grace um she goes to a school in Broome in western australia and she's in year six and she's had the same couple of friends since preschool and they betray her something terrible uh, the, this what goes down is really really horrendous breaks her heart um her walls go up she doesn't trust she doesn't you know she's just put her walls up and locked herself away won't go back to school can't face school and in the meantime her mum gets offered a job managing a, a very old castle that's been converted into a, a hotel and the the little village that's attached to the castle is like a lifestyle village where for four, for a four-day weekend tourists can come in and experience what it's like to live in a bygone era and all the all the shopkeepers are dressed up in victorian garb and 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 so is grace and her mum when this four-day weekend goes on and she's she she comes across a map of the secret passages and tunnels in this medieval castle and is clowning around in one of them and on one occasion when she happens to be in olden day victorian dress she goes back in time 200 years so um, that journey helps her to heal but it is a bit horrendous <laughs> and um the the big the big dilemma in the whole thing is you know she's got one shot to save someone she loves but if she does she won't exist in her time and what's she going to do so uh, i put a lot of trouble on my on my character there so i needed to research um castles i did a lot of i took a lot of footage of castles and um looked into all of their really cool you know hidey hole spaces all their um, secret passages that they would use when they were under attack so that they could escape and things like that. I looked into, um, you know, what life was like for, for the poor because she befriends she befriends a 13-year-old maid there. She witnesses a crime when she goes back the first time and she knows who's done it. And when she goes back the second time, this 13-year-old maid has been charged with the crime and she knows full well she hasn't done it. So she's out to save her, for starters. Um <clears throat> So I had to I had to research all of that. I uh, looked into uh, when you know needed to know when they stopped sending convicts out to Australia, convict girls out to Australia. Lots of stuff like that. Lots and lots of photos. I had a massive folder on my desktop with loads and loads and loads of photos, which really helped me out. Um, yeah, and then the story just kind of came together around all of that. Mm, and then you had was it to research the uh, the authors. I mean, I didn't even realise that these authors all you know would have been contemporaries, you know, writing at the same time. So yes, yes, yeah, they were. So um, it, it's quite good. And likewise, you know, the, the the group of authors that appear 
in book two and book three. They're, they're all contemporaries as well. It was hard getting Australian authors in there um, because we didn't get going until later. Mm. I managed to get a few in there, but, um, yeah, we didn't really get going until much later. And you don't want to age the main character too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. So it was set in, oh, was it 1862? Is that the? 1862, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when she goes back. And in the yeah. second one, she actually um, she actually goes back to Broome, where she's originally from, um, in eighteen I think it's eighteen ninety. I can't remember now. But um, she goes she goes back in time here, and she goes back in time and sees Broome and the whole pearling industry, and the laying of the cables for Cable Beach and all that sort of stuff as well. So it's fun. It's oh, fun wow. to read yeah. that history. I just love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, that would be so, so interesting. It's really, really interesting. I, I love doing all the research into Broome for the second book in, in that era. Just so cool. I think there's um, there's been a bit of a surge of, um, it just might, might just be my perspective, but there's been a bit of a surge lately in um, in Australian history and, and early colonial and pre-colonial history, um, especially in picture books. Um, so it's, it's really nice to see. It's really nice to go, yeah, to think about yeah, what it was is. like and not not just focus on European history all the time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so in uh, in my review, and we sometimes do, Julie and I like to check this. We get we estimate word counts, and I estimated it was around forty thousand words. Is that is that right? <laughs> it was about fifty five, I think. Ah, oh, right, a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was about 55 or 52, somewhere like that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, we, we try and, and guesstimate, but um, sometimes we'll be off, but that's okay. Um, so having written mostly under pseudonyms in the past, as we discussed, and, it, you know, now you've got this new book, and I know you've done a few books under your own name, but this is a, a different sort of a bigger deal, I guess. Is, was there more work involved in marketing it? Um you know, is it different from when you release books under pseudonyms? Well, I don't think so. I, I I know the marketing said, you know, from from the author of Zach Power Test Drives and, you know, might have cited those other books, uh, but, but no, I don't think so. I mean, Stargirl is written under my own name, Louise Park, and it's in just about every school in Australia, so okay. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, but it, but it is really nice to have like to move into middle grade under my name and just mm. keep keep my name. I don't want to have any more pseudonyms. I have got enough. And I guess that um, the audience for this book, even though it's middle grade, they would have re- read your previous you know junior fiction anyway, so they'd be familiar with that if it was mentioned. Yes. Yes. Yes, so I, I think Grace really a, a really strong year three reader could could cope with it, but it's probably year four, year five, year six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's Would what you I said. Think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Good. Yeah, I sort of said about nine and up. Just you know, and then to have some familiarity with those authors that are there because it, it just will add so much more depth to know what you're talking about with you know talking about um, Louise May Alcott and you know Charles yeah. Dickens. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's why I did the the um, author's note at the back about about those authors because uh, I know like librarians are loving that they're loving uh, getting those classics out and talking about them before they actually read Grace 
with their students because it just brings all that to life and, um, you know, gives them so much more in terms of children's literature and appreciation of children's literature. And they, they, they pick it up anyway. They crack up laughing. I, I've, I've been in schools for this book week term and I've been reading excerpts from Grace and, you know, when, when she comes across scenes with um, that relate to Alice in Wonderland or A Christmas Carol, they crack up laughing and they, they start screaming it out at me because they pick it straight away. You know, oh, it's Alice in Wonderland. Or, oh, or they'll say, you know, that's, that's the one with the three ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Carol. <laughs> that's so good it's so good that they know uh, so I had I don't think I've really mentioned on the podcast before but um I homeschool my boys and I, I spoke to you before we started the interview about that and um I use a lot of fiction to teach history um and to teach a lot of things actually um and it's there's so much out there it's so fantastic and you I might it, it books like this can really spark you know more learning and and more history and just yeah. a much more fun way of learning than you know just boring old history books yeah and like um i put in there you know m- most children everybody knows alice in wonderland she's so readily recognizable in her blue dress and a white apron and her blonde hair what they don't know is that she started off in a yellow dress and i put that in there yes yeah. <laughs> you know like just curious little things like that that just yeah. um yeah, great conversation starters, aren't they? Yeah, and, and, and then the Lewis Carroll was also a pseudonym. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 And um when she when she first sees Charles Dickens and she's she's gone down and landed behind a bookcase back two hundred years, and she hears him telling the author of Alice in Wonderland that, you know, eat me eat me cakes and drink me potions and shrinking and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just nonsense. Can't you write something better? It'll never sell. And she's inside this thing and she goes, bah, humbug, <laughs> because she knows that it sells. And even children even, you know, they know that. They know that that's Scrooge's big, you know, cry, bah, humbug. And, you know, it's just fun. Just fun. Fun yeah, for me to yeah. Oh, I, look, I, I loved it. And I think I was laughing out loud at those points as well because, you know, <laughs> I know, and that's why I think, yeah, that's why I think it's, you know, sort of, I mean, it's definitely readable if for an advanced, slightly younger reader, but I think you kind of got to have those, you know, have those little bits of context just to really make it, you know, get the most out of it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think there are there are lots of readers out there that, are, that you know, give them credit where credit's due. They they will get all of that. They'll get all of those layers and um, and in the middle of it all it's this great big, you know, dangerous romp with this adventure where she's madly trying to um, save someone and save herself and and get home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not giving too much away. So Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the to the um, to book two and two, book three you were talking about. Is there a timeline for those? Me too. <laughs> are they written yet, or do we do we no. have a date? Or no? Okay. <laughs> no. Um, book two. Book two is book two is going around in my head, keeping me awake at night, and I'm working on it. But um, I've got the skeleton of book three, but it's not it's not written yet. But I kind of I I have a sense of where the entire story is going and I always do when I work on a series like that the way you've got to read you know this this is a trilogy and to to get the whole story arc I've I've mapped that out 
So I know where book two and book three are going and I know um, all the revelations for her at the end of book three and how I'm going to solve those things. I, I, that was all planned out in the very beginning. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear, yeah. I, I guess it would take a lot of planning. Um, yeah, and, and you don't obviously you don't have a tight sort of uh, schedule from the publisher then to get these out. Uh, no, no, not really. Uh, so we're, I'll be going on tour, promo tour for Grace One and, you know, seed that down and bed that down in the market and then and then book two will come out next year sometime, I hope. Okay, sounds good. Um, and so we're coming off the back of um, what I think a lot of authors like to call book month instead of book week, which <laughs> it's intended to be. And I know you're quite active um it's going to schools um are you also active on social media is that something that's part of your author marketing or I'm trying to get better at it <laughs> I really am trying to get better at it I'm I'm on um Instagram as Louise Park book writing and publishing I'm on Facebook just as Louise Park but that's about it. I'm not on Twitter and I really do need to get onto Twitter. But, oh, gosh, I just find, like, by the time you write some content for all of these platforms, I could have written a chapter. <laughs> I think I need somebody to do it for me. I'm not very good at it. Yeah, um, there is that. I, I find that um, you tend to get the same content across all platforms and if everybody's on all platforms, they're getting all the content anyway. But each of them has their kind of their own um, method and I think you kind of just need to, you know, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't, then just stick to what you like and what works, you know. Yeah. What I like the most about social media is the interaction with people. That's that's mm. the thing I like the most. Like librarians will write to me or, you know, mums will, you know, put something on there like, you know, oh, my, my, my little boy couldn't put his D-Bot squad down. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll write back to them. And sometimes I'll send them things in the mail. And I just love connecting in that way so it's more about it's more about the connections for me and um yeah chatting like I've made friends that I that I chat with privately I've probably never met I'll probably never meet them but um I chat with them privately now because they've just become a friend through um connecting because they've had a child that's read one of my books and you know it's really turned them on to reading or or whatnot and I, I just think that's amazing it's just amazing that you can you can find people out there in the world like that through social media. It's just it's very cool. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, as an author, you know, as an as an aspiring author, I mean, there's just there's just so much out there to be had. There's so much inspiration and advice, and you know, you could just follow other authors and just you know glean lots of you know tips or events that you know. You yes, just, your whole world just opens up. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and for me it's a real buzz. I just love connecting with fans or um, parents of little fans. And they come through my website as well. So my website, www.louisepark.com.au, that uh, contact me, that, that is my email address. So I get people writing me letters about, you know, I had one that had me in tears about a little girl who was in hospital having an operation and, one of my Harriet Clare books was just bringing her so much joy and the mother was thanking me while she was, you know, going through this terrible trauma with a child and I, I, was, I was sobbing wow. and that just came to my website and I think, oh, God, I've got the best job in the world. I really have. Really, really, really have. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I had to say, 
copies of something because I just wanted to give us something and, yeah. you know, just another connection out there. It's fab- fabulous. Yeah. And that's what you do it for, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's for them. It's for the kids. It's for connecting. It's, you know, if you can inspire one child, like, wow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of some of that. So um, just, you know, we better wrap this up. But um, my one sticky question, and I hope, that you had enough warning to think about this. What is one, <laughs> apart, from, apart from Grace's Secrets, what is one yeah. middle grade book that every child should read? Oh, oh. there's too many. You can't just pick one. There's too many. Hey, have you read Lenny's book of everything? Oh, my. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh it's yes. so good. So uh, good. Probably my book of 2019, I have to say. Oh, so, 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 so good. I cried a lot. Yes, That's so, 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 so good. So I definitely have that in there now. Um, look, I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter. I can't help myself. Yeah. I put that in there. Oh, there's just too many. I mean, the Roald Dahl books are priceless and, you know, we were talking about him before. Mm. Um, oh, there's just too many to pick, to pick one. But right now... Because I've just read Lenny, I just I just think Lenny's book of everything gives gives everybody adults children alike um, so much so much food for thought. I think it's just brilliant. It was so well written, yeah. so Absolutely. good. Absolutely, yeah. I had I had the biggest book hang, hangover after that. I couldn't read anything for weeks. <laughs> I know she's so clever. Oh, she's just so clever. Good on her. That's what I say. I really thought she was going to win the CBCA. I did too. Yeah. yeah, it must have been a really tough, tough one. I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, for anyone who doesn't know who we're talking about is Karen Foxley. Um, and I did a review of Lenny's book of everything very early on in the podcast series. So have a look back to early episodes. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll get have to get Karen on to do an interview for us. Um, yes, she's amazing. Yeah, and she's got some um her other books, um Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy and The Most Magical Girl. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read that so yet, but I, I I will. Definitely. Yeah, they're very very good. Very good. Wonderful. Well, um thank you. I could just chat forever as always with the amazing <laughs> authors that we have on <laughs> on the podcast. Um I could but forever too. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, so I normally would ask you um, where we can find you, but you, as you said, look on Instagram and Facebook um, for Louise Park and your website, louisepark.com.au. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Grace's Secrets is out now in all good bookstores. Yes, she's just yeah. hit the shops. And it's quite well, Gracie. <laughs> oh, she will. Beautiful. And I can't wait to read. The second book and the third down the track. I thank you. Well, thank you so much for your chat and good luck with the book and the tour. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. It was a real pleasure speaking with you and um, I hope to speak with you again down the track. Oh, that'd be great. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. We've almost reached 4,000 listens, which of course means another great middle grade Mavens giveaway, so stay tuned folks. Next up, 
Pamela reviews The Lost Tide Warriors by Catherine Doyle. And Julie has yet another double review with Cameron McIntosh's fifth Max Booth super sleuth book titled Film Flip, as well as Mika and Max by Laura Bloom. Plus, Laura drops into the Maven's hot seat for some authorly banter. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net. <laughs>